Once upon a time, there lived a manager named Roger, who was the owner of a very successful real estate agency. One day, he was looking over the figures and noticed that his team of sales consultants had only managed to win one of the last 10 appraisal requests. Nine had listed with other agencies. Roger himself had secured four of the five appraisals he'd had in the last month. He thought to himself, I've worked so hard to develop this business and now I have three sales agents who can't even list properties. He felt despondent. Just then, one of his consultants burst into the office. Hey, uh, Roger, I um, just had two more, two more uh, requests for appraisals tonight. Glad I didn't book dinner with the wife. Sorry, Sam. Uh, yeah, like I was planning to. Fantastic, eh? That's, yeah, that, that's, that, yeah, that, that's fantastic. Fantastic. But, but who's going to go with you? Oh, it's all right. I'll go. Um, I'm free and I'm feeling good about these two properties. I feel like I'm due for, due for some success. Hmm. Sure. Look, why don't I go with you? Maybe I can help you with the presentation or something. That's all right, Roger. I know you've been super busy. You've been out every night this week, and, uh, and I know that you're looking forward to a night at home to watch a footy. Look, it's no problem, really. I can come along. It's uh, really important. Okay. I'd love to come, actually. Okay, sure. In fact, when I get there, I think I've got a new strategy. Yes, a new strategy I would like to use. Cool. Um, care to share? Yep. I think I'll do the introduction. Okay. And, yep, I think I'll do the presentation as well. Okay. And... Yeah, I think this is very important. I'll do the closing the deal and pulling it all together. Yep. Um, okay. What part do you want me to do? Right, what can you do? Well, um, to be honest, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Just make sure you don't say anything and just make sure you don't stuff it up. Oh. Roger was really looking forward to a night off. He was under a heap of stress, but he did not want it to be another lost chance for this listing. He couldn't afford to lose so many. After they were leaving the appraisal, they reflected in the car. Good form in there, Roger. You really saved the day on that one. <laughs> sure, sure I saved the day. But did I not tell you, did I not make it clear, did I not make it clear that I did all the talking? Yeah, but, but I was only trying I to... I expressly told you that. I was only trying to help, mate. She asked if I had school-aged kids. I don't, by the way. Yes. And then you talked, and you talked, you talked for 30 minutes. Even when I glared at you, glared at you, 
You didn't say it. You didn't stop talking. Sorry, mate. I, I just didn't realise. Didn't realise? How incompetent are you? You haven't secured an appraisal in months. You talk and talk and talk, have no idea what you're doing. But hadn't it been for me tonight, we would have lost this deal as well. I can't believe how useless you are. I'm sorry, mate. I, I... And everyone in the office thinks the same thing. They tell me you're always late and never return calls. Oh, it's just so frustrating. There was an awkward silence in the car for the rest of the trip until Roger dropped Con off at his car. Without looking at Con, his parting words were... Con, get out of the car. You can do the Open this weekend yourself and don't be late. Because if you're late, I'm going to have a serious thought about your future with this company. As Roger drives home, he starts to cool down and realises that he'd been a bit rough on Con tonight. He calls Brian, his business coach, on the mobile as he's driving. (laughs) Ring, ring. Hello. Hey, Brian, you got a moment? Just pull over. I'm actually on the driving at the moment and uh, I'm not hands-free. Just hold on a sec. Right. Brian... I'm really stuck, mate. Really? What's happening? I just can't believe how unlucky I am. Our business has made yet another loss this month. Only four listings. Three of them were mine. And you know the problem? You know what the problem is? It's an incompetent staff. The market is down. They don't care. They leave the office whenever they want to. They never return calls. I have to cover for them all the time. It's always me covering this and me covering that. I have to do all the appraisals. You sound uh, frustrated. It's just not fair. Why have I got such hopeless staff? After all the work I've done for so long with this business, and look at us now, nowhere. I should have never have tried this in the first place. In fact, tonight I had to tell Con he couldn't do the appraisal he'd lined up for. I had to go with him and save the day and do it for him. Now let me get this straight. You went and conducted Con's appraisal for him. That's called recruiting. Yes, I had to rescue him again. Rescue. Okay. Um, and did you know, did you show him what to do? Did you coach him? Well, kind of. I had to give him a bit of a reminder on the way home, actually. I had to tell him what he needed to do. In fact, I gave him a real serve. A real serve. It was the only way. But, and I think, I think he got the message. So you made him feel dumb. Sounds like a good plan. 
oh, why me? Why do I have such a hopeless team? It's just not fair. Okay, so now you are the victim of your own business, right? Roger was feeling like Brian wasn't getting him. What was he expecting from Roger? You may have a con in your life. You may be the Roger in your own life. We're going to look this morning at what happens and what do you call that, that tricky dynamic that has us feeling so many extreme emotions. There's three roles that you saw there, the persecutor, the rescuer, and the victim. In 1968, a guy called Stephen Cartman called this the Cartman Drama Triangle. Um, It lives on today. You can read about it in this book by Melody Beattie. She wrote about a scar that happens in families where there's been some kind of dysfunction. Maybe there was a substance abuse. Maybe there was a mental health issue. Maybe you just didn't have a voice to say what you really wanted. And she develops this idea further. So why are we looking at it today? Sometimes you're just in a draining relationship. What is that dynamic called? And how do we not get emotionally hooked in these draining relationships. So here's what it looks like. The entry point to the drama triangle is often as a rescuer and the rescuer then becomes a persecutor. The persecutor then turns into a victim and it goes around again. Sometimes it goes the other way. There's untold possibilities of where you get onto this merry-go-round and which direction you go in. The truth that remains is that once you're on it, you will continue to go round the merry-go-round. So, the rescuer. Let's look at what the rescuer does and why they do it. Predominantly, they say yes when inside they actually wanted to say no, but they ignored that gut feeling, so they say yes instead of no. They take on others' responsibilities. I'm not talking about a parent with a two-year-old expecting way too much of a two-year-old. But often when the two-year-old is a 12-year-old, more could be expected and more isn't expected. Sometimes I used to work in a school as a teacher. Parents become rescuers and they're queued up outside the classroom with a litany of issues that probably the children could have been taught to actually have their own difficult conversations. Um, In the scenario that we saw before, there was definitely a rescuer. So what a rescuer does is they take on other people's responsibilities when those other people had the age appropriateness and the capacity to actually have those responsibilities themselves. What happens is that the rescuer, actually, they think they're helping, they're creating dependency because this is unhealthy helping. Nobody wins when you're on the drama triangle. So what looks like helping is actually not helping at all. And a rescuer will feel drained. Life is draining for them. They're always giving what they don't want to give and actually can't give. They don't have that capacity, but they keep trying anyway. Why would anyone do this, you ask yourself? It seems so crazy. The reason is the rescuer wants temporary relief from their own anxiety and false guilt. Anxiety about that person will get angry if I say no. So it's like an addiction. Rescuers are addicted to getting a temporary hit 
a temporary relief from their own inner feelings and so they help but it never works it's only temporary another reason is that it makes them feel needed some people's identity is actually in being the helper nothing wrong with helping but they actually try and rescue those who should actually be doing more in their own lives Andrew in the skit who was Roger Roger can you stand up what did you notice about your rescuing in that skit that you were doing Roger, Roger was a control freak mm-hmm. and nothing or nobody w- w- would, would do it good enough if he didn't do it himself. That's right. Thank you. So he stole Con's responsibilities. Con had the responsibility of going and doing the opening. Roger stole them all. Um, Roger avoided saying what he needed. He needed very specific changes from Con And Roger avoided doing that. And he also avoided uncomfortable situations. There was a performance issue. Con actually wasn't meeting up to the standards and Roger couldn't have that uncomfortable situation. So to avoid all of that, he took over and he took control. And it didn't end well. Objections that often come from Christians when we talk about rescuing is, well, hang on a second, didn't Jesus rescue us? So he set the standard Um, rescuing is actually okay. And the second objection is, isn't it good to help people? Let's just very briefly look at what Jesus did when he came to earth to create a way for us to connect again with God. It wasn't a rescue like Roger did in this skit because what was required was not something we could ever have done on our own. We had no other option but someone else to do that for us. It wasn't as if we could have fixed that situation. So Jesus was the actual only solution to that one. It's not the same. It's a different rescue. Second question, isn't it good to help people? It sure is, and we need to do that. Helping never turns toxic. It never goes pear-shaped and goes to pot. It doesn't go with those extreme emotions um, that you saw up on here. So if it's healthy helping, you're not on the triangle. You're not going to go to resentment, and you're not going to feel like a victim. Healthy helping never goes that way. Let's look at the persecutor. What do they do? They blame everyone else for their own choices. I will get angry with you because of the choices that I made about you. Everyone else is to blame. The message is it's all your fault. It might be in words, Um, With Roger, it was definitely in words and a very angry tone. Sometimes it's just in your thoughts. Sometimes the persecuting is just the script in your head. I know at my house, if I do more than my share of housework, when I turn on the vacuum cleaner, the persecuting script, it it spins. Never a word out of my mouth, but the thoughts are definitely there. And if you've, um, often Christians do the persecuting just in their own head, it actually doesn't come out um, in the extent that it did with Roger. Bottom line for them, they feel resentful. The rescuer feels drained when a persecutor will feel resentful. The underlying emotion is anger at the other person. Where are you again, Roger? Take a stand. What did you do in that skit when you were the persecutor? I put the blame of what the situation is onto the other person. Mm -hmm. I gave nothing but criticism and put the person down rather than looking a way forward to lift the person up and to um, show them a way of encouragement for them to learn to go future. It was just all negative. All negative. Excellent. Um, Blamed Con for the lack of skills. 
Lack of skills actually needed to come from his employer. And it was harsh feedback with no training, no way forward, um, as Andrew said, no hope at all. There's another persecutor, and I hate using her because she always gets such a bad rap, but um, let's look at her anyway. Martha in Luke 10, 38 to 42. Let's read what happened. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what's better, and it will not be away from her. Did you see the persecutor moment? There it is. Don't you care, blame, that my sister, more blame, has left me to do all the work. We don't see the rescue part. The rescues happened prior to this, behind closed doors. She blames Mary for her own choices. I wonder if there's perfectionism there. We don't see it, but I'm wondering if, I'm guessing, maybe this is what happened. You know, hospitality with a capital H, everything has to be perfect, amazing meal. I mean, Jesus is coming. I kind of get it. Maybe there was a massive house clean. Maybe they had to repaint the whatever it was they lived in. Maybe the garden had to be done. Maybe the meal had to be 10 courses as opposed to hospitality with a little age, where it's simple, it does the job, and it's all about the connecting with the people. Maybe that's what happened. And maybe Mary said, I don't want that. I'll offer this much. I want to hear Jesus. And maybe Martha pursued the hospitality with the capital H plan and was up doing and cleaning and perfecting. And maybe that's what happened. She blames Mary for her own choices. Jesus' response tells us that Martha's choices were actually the reason that she ended up feeling so stressed. He never pointed the finger at Mary. He didn't ask Mary to go and help. He infers, and he doesn't say, Martha, you got it wrong. He says, Mary's chosen the thing that is needed. By implication, Martha, you chose something else. And when you choose something else, it does actually feel ugly. So, persecutor never lasts. Persecutor always ends up feeling very blue, feeling like a victim. The victim's message is, poor me, how did it all go wrong? They take no responsibility for the mess that was created. They see themselves as helpless and powerless and with no way of fixing this situation. Again, it might be in words or it might actually be the script in their head. Sometimes it happens when you're driving and the thoughts start. How on earth did I end up in this mess? Where did it all go so wrong? I didn't see that coming. I tried so hard. Victim thoughts. And they actually feel trapped. They don't know what to do to make life any different from what it's currently looking like. Roger, where were you a victim and what did you do? I was a victim because I was feeling that all of this wasn't my fault and I didn't cause any of it when really I had a plank in my eye that meant that I wasn't seeing what the real issues were and I was, wasn't was listening to the advice that was being given to me. Yep, because the coach, Ken, was actually trying to talk to you and, and you couldn't hear it. Victims often do a lot of venting. Um, Roger was venting to his business coach. He thought life was unfair and he felt very, very used. 
but he was blind to his part in all of that. Martha turned into a victim as well. Let's go and have a look. Um, to the, the persecuted bit was when she said, Lord, don't you care? Um, my sister left me to do the work by myself. There she is feeling victimised and helpless and alone. Tell her to help me. So in other words, there's nothing I can do any differently. Someone else has to step in and help me. I am a victim. So she sees herself as helpless. She wants Jesus to rescue her. Um, he doesn't rescue Martha. And I would imagine if it was a valid request, of course he would have done that. So there must have been something about her choices that he thought she needed to actually feel the effect of. Where in your life do you see yourself on that triangle? Do you identify with anything at all of that? Um, Have a chat to the person next to you about which aspect of that triangle you might notice shows up in your life. Okay, clearly clearly we all see ourselves in some way, sometimes on that triangle. The real question is, how do we get off? Nobody, nobody wants to t- stay in that toxic dynamic. How do we get off that triangle? The first question would be, well, how often are you on it? And if it's something like, that's me all the time, that is my entire life, day in, day out, it is not your fault. It's not your fault that you're on that triangle Often there's been something in your background that landed you with those messages. Not your fault that you're on it, but it's your responsibility to get off it. If that's you, all the time, every relationship, every day, every dynamic, that's actually, um, that's quite profound. And it actually is time to talk to a professional about that. And um, we are not counsellors in our business. We do pastoral care. But if you would like some help connecting to the right person to talk to, we can do that. So if this defines you and always has, it's time to talk to someone about rewiring those instincts um, that are not serving you well. If you see this in one or two relationships, the job is to learn to have a voice and we can talk a little bit about that right now. You may also want to um, grab hold of Melody Beatty's book. She explains this in a lot of detail. You can actually get it as an e-book. I think it's 9.99 if you want to grab it on a Kindle app Um, even even right now Um, and you can get us a hard copy copy too so how do we get off the triangle the persecutor needs to become a challenger this is a proactive role this is not wait until they've messed up whether it's at home or at work it's a proactive role it's about being really clear about your expectations and making no assumptions at all what do you need people to do do they have a job description do they do your Um, Do the people have goals? Do you do reviews with them? That's a workplace scenario. At home, do people know what it is that you need from them or are they having to guess and getting it wrong every time? So clear expectations, being proactive. It's also for you to apply healthy pressure beforehand and during the process, not toxic blame afterwards. Um, And encouragement as well. Do you give training? Do you impart skills and wisdom to the people in your world so that they can live well? Do you give feedback to them at all or are they supposed to guess and live with the failure? So if you know I get on that triangle as a persecutor, that's my first port of call, become a challenger instead. Be really proactive about what it is that you need and what it is that you're expecting. 
The victim needs to become a creator. Some websites say a survivor. I like creator because it's a bit more healthy and optimistic than survivor. What does the creator do? They ask themselves coaching questions. Uh, on Friday, I met with someone who there's four people in her workplace and two of them occasionally fall out. Occasionally is about every month. And when they fall out, there's the silent treatment and it goes for two days solid every time. In a four-person workplace, when two people aren't speaking to each other, it's very frosty and nobody wants to go to work. So I was just chatting with her about what she thought was happening and I was really impressed. Her first comment was, Linda, I've got a contribution here. There's something that I'm doing. I don't know what it is, but I know that I'm part of this. I was really impressed. She was not in a victim stance. She was being a creator. We talked about one thing she could do differently. Um, She was looking at wanting to make changes. She was asking herself those exact questions that propelled her into action. She was taking responsibility for her life and how she wanted it to look. So victims need to become creators, ask yourself questions, and then take responsibility. We've left the rescuer one for last because it's probably the one that most people identify with. Rescuers actually need to become a coach. Coaches have three jobs. Number one, possibly the biggest one, manage your own anxiety and false guilt about other people's feelings, particularly other people's disappointment with you and other people's anger when you won't rescue them. This is step one. Can't go to step two until you manage what happens in here and the script that happens here about the shoulds that you should be doing. Manage your own churning anxiety when a rescue is demanded and you know that you can't do it. That's where you might need some help. Number two is use questions. Rescuers launch into action. They save other people from their stuff. Do it through questions instead. Questions keep you out of the game, keep the other person holding their responsibilities. You are quite safe. You're on their edges. No energy expended from you. All the responsibility. You can Google coaching questions. There's thousands of them. Actually, Jamin Fraser's book um, has a whole lot of them as well. Questions like, how will you make that happen? What's the next step for you to make that change? What's stopping you from doing something about this? What support do you need? Questions, questions, questions. The best coaching questions are questions that you don't know the answer to. You're not leading somebody down to a conclusion that you've decided that's a subtle rescue. Open up real questions that you don't know the answer to and they, if they were to think about it, would work out something. So coaches, manage your anxiety and your false guilt. Stay on the edges and use questions to help that person take responsibility for their life. And sometimes you actually just need to do nothing. It was never your job. If that's the case, you don't need to use any questions at all. You manage the anxiety and you let them make their choices. The third thing is to actually have really clear boundaries. In Galatians 6, 2 and 5, it says, Bear one another's burdens. Burdens are heavy, impossible things that you can't carry alone. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Everyone should carry his own load. They're manageable things, like a backpack that you can carry by yourself. When people have burdens and they're impossible and they're difficult and they need help, your question to yourself is still, what level of support do I want to offer? If someone's got a massive big burden, you could put a whole shoulder and two arms under it to help carry that. You might get in their life quite intensively for a while to help them with it, but that's not sustainable. You might decide, I'm going to help you with your burden with two arms. 
I'll be involved, but not at the level of really, really suffering it with you. You might put one hand onto somebody's burden. That might look like, I'm going to give you a phone call every week and just see how things are going. Or I'll cook a meal for you every two weeks. Or I'll meet with you and see how you're going. One hand. You might just put one finger. You're still offering support in some way, but it's, it's compatible with what you can, what your capacity is at that time. So ask yourself what level of support. Rescuers say, I'm in their boots and all. That's not sustainable for everybody and it's probably not what they even want. So ask yourself, what do I actually want to offer? And the last step for a coach, empathise with other people's disappointment with you. People will be annoyed that you're not rescuing. They'll be sad, they'll feel let down. And we have Ruth Waterworth to thank you for this lovely line. I can understand how you would feel that way. If someone's persecuting you for not rescuing them... Don't turn into the persecutor yourself. Say, well, I've done A and B and C. Off the triangle, empathise with their disappointment. And all you have to say is, yeah, I get that. I get that you would feel that way. It doesn't mean you agree that they would feel that way or that you're going to change what you're offering. But empathise that they are disappointed. So I understand. I get it that you're feeling disappointed. And that is job done for a coach. Manage your internal feelings. Develop coaching questions. Work out what level of support to offer and empathise when people are disappointed that you haven't showed up with your cape and your rescuer badge on to take their pain away. The drama triangle, you don't want to be on it. It's toxic, it's hate, it's not what Jesus wants us to be doing. It's diminishing for other people's lives. Be a coach, a creator or a challenger. And Cindy has picked a song which articulates beautifully um, what it is that stops us from living well. And if the, the musos would like to come up. Thank you.